Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and Privates, this is a very special episode because if you've been listening to this podcast, you've probably heard of the Star Garden Strippers and how for 15 long months they have been fighting and picketing and organizing to gain union recognition at their place of employment, the Star Garden Topless Bar in North Hollywood, California, which is in Metro LA. And that effort ended in victory this week. So big congratulations to the Star Garden dancers. On Monday, May 15th, lawyers representing the owners of Star Garden withdrew all their election challenges and they agreed to recognize the union and they're going to meet with Actors Equity Association across the bargaining table within 30 days to negotiate a first contract. And the club is also going to reopen for business and bring back dancers who were dismissed last year. So... That is a big, a big W, a big win for the Star Garden dancers. And today we are actually going to hear from one of Star Garden's newly unionized strippers, Velveeta, who has been an active part of this unionizing effort. Hi, um, my name is Velveeta, and I am an organizer with Stripper Strike Noho and Stripper Co-op. This interview with Velveeta was conducted six weeks ago prior to this latest development. So at the end of the episode, I'm going to give you all the latest updates on how the Star Garden dancers became America's only unionized strippers. I'm actually really curious to see if this is going to catch on at other clubs across the country. But first, here is Velveeta with how this all got started in the first place. So I actually started stripping at Star Garden in 2017. It was my first club, and oh. uh, I was there for a year, and then I was fired because I brought up a labor issue or an employment issue, rather. They were charging us late fees to work and scheduling us, and I had looked up some of the law on that. I thought it was real fishy that they weren't paying us at all, <laughs> and because um, that, that was never something I'd experienced uh, working a job. So I found out about employee versus independent contractor status, and I approached the manager, and I said, you know, you're supposed to be treating us like you say we are independent contractors, but you're not. And uh, I kind of have a better understanding of the law around this. And I think y'all should get rid of the the late fees because uh, because you're not doing things right. So you better keep us happy. <laughs> so wait, I don't even get what was late about it. Oh, so if, if we were scheduled from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. and you showed up at 8.15, they would charge you an extra 10 bucks for your house fee. Oh. And I'm always running late. So you rack those up. Yeah, I had a problem with that. I think I was like, I had been at the mall and I was, I was like, <laughs> I was like going to be like 45 minutes late for my shift. 
<laughs> and I was like, this is bullshit. So I approached the manager and she responded by telling me that if I didn't like the rules, I could leave. And so I did that. I, I went into the club the following day to talk to the boss, Hans, um, who's like this burly German guy, sort of like the stereotype of what you'd imagine a strip club owner to be. And he said, you know, you know, threaten me, like, I hope you've done your taxes. And because uh, I told him I was going to see him in court, basically. <laughs> and this is what, 2017 when this is going on? 2018. 2018. When I was okay. fired. He's like, you're not an you're not an employee uh, and everything like that. So but then I did sue and I received a settlement and I started organizing, volunteering with Strippers United or, you know, formerly Soldiers of Pole that year in like November. And I actually was at that Raising Hell show that y'all did the episode at. Oh, cool. I remember being there and I had been with Strippers United or again, <laughs> um, for about a month or two. And we had, I'd gotten very involved very quickly. And then I was on the board and I remember thinking how funny it was that I was now on the board of this organization that I had only shortly been a part of at this incredible event and everything uh -huh. was just really taking off. So that was a very, it, the show was just very inspiring. And I think y'all captured the energy very well. Oh, thank you. But you were out of work at this point, right? I started working at other clubs in LA. And were you having similar experiences at those clubs too? Like, is it kind of ubiquitous how they're run or are there key differences? Yeah. At that time, before AB5, everyone was... Um, doing the whole independent contractor deal. And even after AB5, a lot of clubs have continued doing the independent contractor thing, mm -hmm. the misclassification. So yeah, so it was kind of all the same thing. But but like the clubs that I was working at and the club that I continue to work at, they don't have these little nickel and dime things. So that that's the stuff that just aggravates me as a dancer. So they seem to understand some at some of these clubs that like the dancers are like a litigation risk. <laughs> <laughs> they should at this point, like duh. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm happy, you know, at the clubs I'm at, they're not doing everything above board, but yeah. And, and sometimes there's a trade-off going on, but uh, certainly at Star Garden, the second time around, they were not doing right by us at all. Really egregious stuff. And they're, kind of turning out to be a worst case scenario employer for the unionization as well. Yeah. So when you're getting fired up about this, like post-raising hell, is this when you like learned about the lusty lady? And tell me about your kind of sex worker social movement education. Yeah. Um, I had learned about the lusty lady when I was doing kind of that research when I was looking up the issues at Stargarden the first time. And I had gone out to visit a friend in San Francisco and done a little pilgrimage to the Lusty Lady. And I have a picture of myself in front of the the Lusty Lady. So it's definitely loomed large, like in my whole mindset as a stripper. And I've it's been a dream since I found out about all this to be a union stripper. So it's um, been very surreal just to be on this journey now. So yeah, and then the Ant Antonia is a lusty lady, so that was really cool. So now I've met many of the original lusty ladies, and I organized that panel uh -huh. um, at the election night party, which was just a great conversation. And Pandora is so great; she's sent us like their 
um, bylaws and their uh, member agreements and stuff so that we have those as resources as we're forming the co-op. Yeah, it was like kind of magical that night because it was the two generations of these, you know, unionizing strippers. It truly was amazing. I'm going to bring you a cut down of some of the best moments from that night on a future episode. But today we are focused on Velveeta's version of the Star Garden story. So let's get back to it. Okay, so let's do the whole Star Garden story like the second time. So you go back. And is it already under different management or no? Yes. So that's the reason why I could be hired back because they didn't know about me. They didn't know that I had sued them. It wouldn't have taken them too much effort to to find out or like have a list going <laughs> of the people that they should. But um, yeah, they, they hired me and, uh, and I hope they regret it. <laughs> <laughs> So you, when did you go back? What's the time frame? Um, February of 2022. So I, I had only, I was only there for about six weeks before we walked out. And when you go back the second time, what are the issues that you're noticing? So even from night one, I was like, <laughs> the security guard on my first shift was working security and DJing. And they, the owners of Steve and Jenny were like bartenders so they were real short staff, but, you know, obviously because they're trying to cut corners and reduce cost or whatever. But it was it was like unacceptable to me. <laughs> like, how can the DJ be doing those two jobs, especially security? And then the security was not proactive in the club like they had been like even when I was working at Stargarden the first time. I was touched inappropriately on stage or touched at all, which like touching really shouldn't be allowed on stage, but there was no like enforcement of any kind of rule around that. There was like pretty aggressive touching going on in the lap dance area, meaning like, you know, smacking your ass Mm -hmm. and stuff, which is like kind of, you know, that that's pushing boundaries for a lot of dancers. So then there was oversight, which makes it illegal what was going on, because I had actually approached Jenny and said, are you watching what's going on in the lap dance area without like confronting her about the problem because they were firing people, which is part of the reason why we were spurred on to do the walkout for bringing up any issue so that they were watching and seeing what's going on. But security had been told by management not to intervene because they wanted to, their priority was keeping the customers comfortable and happy. Um, And that was the first thing that Jenny told me when I was hired was that the customer is always right. She said that. (laughs) She said that. um, And that's not the case in a strip club. Like, and the least they could have done for us, if they're not going to pay us, if they're going to take half of our lap dance money is to keep us safe and feel like that we have a, you know, safety on the job, you know, normally, like if you have an issue with the customer, you flag the bouncer over and the customer is kicked out. That's what I had become accustomed to. And this was just the opposite. It was really flagrant. And so we have, um, we have an EOC charge in the works, like, um, it's being investigated. What's EOC? The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, maybe, or something like that. But it's the federal agency that deals with discrimination for the sexual harassment. What prompted the walkout? I mean, this is part of what's leading out up to it, but what's like the straw that made you guys 
uh, walkout. Yeah, so there were the firings of Reagan and Selena, and the final straw was after Selena had been fired for the issue of the girl uh, Charlie being filmed on stage, Jenny actually made a point of gathering the girls together and saying, this is the new policy. You can't go to a bouncer if you have an issue. You have to come to us and you have to talk to a manager and then the manager is going to decide what to do in the situation. But um, Steve and Jenny were not on site a lot of the time. And in that case, she told us that we should call them and that they would review the security footage. Um, Of course, that's like completely unacceptable you know, by the time you've left the customer, gone into the dressing room, you're trying to get all this resolved. The customer has either continued to, you know, harm other dancers uh-huh. or they've disappeared. There's no like justice, right. <laughs> um, which is important. It's important to feel like like justice will be served in these instances of, of sexual assault, you know, just like as a, like a personal issue. So it was completely unacceptable. And this is like a regular thing. I mean, due to the nature of the job, right? It's like people are trying to touch you all the time. This is like a regular thing. Yeah. So, okay, there's the filming on stage. There's this sexual harassment, sexual assault stuff going on. Were there any other issues that led to this walkout? We organized around the safety issue and the sexual um, harassment and assault, and the firings of our coworkers. Those are the the key issues that that got us to create the petition and then to walk out. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, privates. Boo, boo. Privates with penises. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self-pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure, and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with a universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just want to say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, wait for the right girl when she comes, and in the meantime, you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time. So you don't even have to sweat it. 
And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to ppupod.com. That's the website, ppupod.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is ppupod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 and it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. The night after we walked out, we were locked out of the club and uh, the picketing was a strategy to pressure the employers to meet with us. And we had asked for a Zoom meeting, even if, you know, Jenny didn't want to meet in person, we'll, we'll meet with you on Zoom. Like we just wanted to resolve the issue. What really funny thing that one of us, uh, I think Charm wrote on the billboard, on, on like the whiteboard that we had set up outside the club to like tally who had gone in and who hadn't. She said, this could have been an email. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what that's all we were asking for. And then basically for them to follow the law when it came to our safety. And so the picket line ran every night for the first week. And I think we scaled it down to like three nights a week for the next, you know, four or five weeks or more. And then um, so we had about like 60 plus nights on the picket line overall throughout the strike. And we were very successful in turning away customers. Like on the first night we were saying, if we don't get it, shut it down. And we have shut it down. We have not gotten it and we have shut it down. And um, they have testified that they had to take out multiple loans to keep the business going, that their revenue and profits were down like 60%. Uh Like we really did succeed in that part of the strategy. But what didn't happen was that they, they didn't come to the table. And that's probably because they... They do own other clubs. Um, They may not be running a legitimate business. It might be like a front for money laundering. We don't really know. But uh, no matter what, we will continue to pursue them so that they will feel the pain of this. I mean, they already have because they've had to shut the business down and they've declared bankruptcy. But beyond that, they owe us a lot of money for back pay. Um, The NLRB is pursuing them on that. And like our team of lawyers is very gung-ho about this. And it's really cool, actually. We've only really worked with women lawyers. So Steve, the owner, has thrown up a bunch of roadblocks over the course of, like, he's our lead lawyer for the NLRB, likened it to, like, a cartoon character throwing logs out of the back of a truck. (laughs) (laughs) But as as we work our way through all of those different, like, little things that he's tried to throw in our way, we're getting to the core issue. And I think of it as, like, Steve is this, like, antelope running away and there's this pride of lionesses like closing in on him now. Yeah. So, I mean, then that brings us to where we are now, which our aim is to take over the club. And there's a few different avenues we can do that. Just to rewind for a second, it was like November, I believe, when you guys had the actor's equity vote. So explain that part of the process, like how you guys got the idea to even pursue the actor's equity because it's kind of genius because you are performers. When I saw that, I was like, oh, very smart. But explain how that went down. They actually found us in a way. 
we had declared our intention to unionize and we were initially planning on, well, we were working on um, forming an independent union for strippers with Strippers United, but we only had one lawyer and she was already extremely overworked. Shout out to Jordan Palmer, who's just incredible um, superhero lawyer. And she was overworked and she was working her other full-time job. So we were really, didn't have much capacity to continue to build on that plan. And a lawyer friend of Jordan's had been reaching out to different unions and Actors' Equity expressed interest. And Actors' Equity, again, like all female leadership and their head of legal had always wanted to work with sex workers and was really excited about the opportunity to do that as part of her her job. So it just was a really incredible, fortuitous match for us. And then the results, though, it was like they contested them and like, where are we today? So our hearing um, regarding the ULP charges, which is the lockout, the firings of three of the dancers. And then there's a, we threw in like a surveillance charge because the security guards were wearing like body cameras and filming us, which is illegal. So those and the union vote there's a hearing on that starting. The hearings will start May 15th. So the the NLRB is has taken our case. They're litigating for us. And like I said, we have an incredible team. We're very confident going into this that we'll get a judgment in our favor. It's just a matter of how do we enforce that? Um, what will we ultimately end up with? But it'll be all, it'll be an achievement in and of itself to have set the precedent that we will, like the legal precedents coming out of this case. Yeah, totally. So explain the bankruptcy thing and like your plans, like if you can take over, like how could this path forward work? So right now um, they're in chapter 11 bankruptcy, which is like reorganization. And it's very transparent that this was a strategy on their part to uh, shake off the union. The other funny thing is that their labor lawyers, the Ackerman law firm, this like this big fancy law firm, it was one of the creditors in the bankruptcy. So they didn't, they stiffed their lawyers. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So anyway, so they have all this debt they're trying to shake off and their plan to reorganize, which was supposed to be, they were supposed to reorganize to make the business more profitable. They said, we're going to turn it into a pool hall. Which is hilarious because the excuse that these guys, these cheapskates who want to go into the club and just see, you know, tits and uh, for free basically and not tip, they they always say, well, we're, we're just want we just want to play pool, you know, we just want to grab some <laughs> beers and, and shoot some pool. It's like, no, you don't. That's not why you're here. <laughs> it's just so funny. So, and they only have one janky pool table that wasn't even working, like wasn't even accepting cash or anything. So it was free for the first few weeks I was working there. So it's like, it was obviously just a ruse. And so. Are they closed right now? They are, which is... Must be troubling for their bankruptcy lawyer because he's going to get paid out of whatever estate they put together to pay the creditors. And so everything that they've done so far has been in, obviously the whole thing is in bad faith because they're not making any effort to keep the business running, to keep the business mon making money or profitable in any sense. So now their lawyer is wanting to actually pull out of the Chapter 11 bankruptcy and get it dismissed. But we, instead of that, because what could happen in that case is that they 
sell the business to a family member or something without the oversight of the bankruptcy court. And that would complicate things. It wouldn't stop the NLRB from pursuing the unionization and the ULPs because there's different things about successorship. Like if a business is taken over, but it's the same business, essentially, you can still try to enforce the, the union. But we are pushing for a um, oversight. So like a controlled sale of assets, either within Chapter 11 or into Chapter 7 liquidation, in which case we would come in with a winning bid, hopefully, if we can get the money together. And your predecessors at the Lusty Lady did this successfully too, right? And their club stayed open for 10 years or something like that? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of your model when you're figuring out your next steps. Yeah. Yeah. That's the plan. And it's cool that the stripper co-op actually started before the union campaign, but the two of them together, like the synergy of the two of it, the combination has been really powerful for us. And we plan to have a club this year, like to open a club this year, whether it's at Star Garden or at another location. And the two will complement each other because if organizers at another club get fired, they can come work at the co-op. And the co-op really is this very anti-capitalist like thing. So yeah, that's that's the plan to run it as a co-op. And I actually I listened to the episode that you did with uh, Jane, um, and I forget the last name. Swift. Yeah, and it is inspiring to think about the possibility. And obviously, the lusty lady sets a really successful precedent. But she she talked about what is the future of work beyond capitalism. And it is very inspiring, like a worker-owned cooperative model, a unionized worker-owned co-op that prioritizes worker needs and worker welfare and everything like that, but also will give the consumer a place to be, something to be part of that is part of like a better future for work in general. And as we've, you know, gone into this fundraising campaign and talking about opening a club, I've been thinking a lot about our customers Mm -hmm. and about those relationships in the context of capitalism and how we want to improve on the traditional model that seems to exploit workers and customers. Because if you look at like, they were charging $10 for a beer at Star Garden. And that was kind of ridiculous. And they were there to make, to profit off of the workers and profit off of the customers. Oh yeah, you're like cutting out a chunk like that middleman. It makes room for both sides, right? Yeah, the, the capitalist, yeah. the capitalist. Like in in a worker co-op, there's more of a more of a mutually supportive exchange of resources. Like we're providing what they want in terms of entertainment and the kind of caring compassionate relationships we provide to our customers and they are supporting us with what resources they have and that they gain through their labor. So it's like, we're kind of feeding each other. You know, on that night that you guys were doing the panel, one of the former lusties was like, but it's not that easy being the boss of, you know, among a, a co-op, even if we're all on the same team, it's like somebody sort of has to be the boss. Have you guys kind of thought about that piece of it as you move forward? Yeah. And that I think the comment she made was like, 
the problem with anarchy or like getting yes. together <laughs> to run your business with a bunch of your anarchist friends is that there's no rules. And then you're like, oh crap, there's no rules. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's interesting. Like just on the topic of like anarchy, I guess. I recently was in Michigan visiting my brother in Ann Arbor and there's this business called Zimmerman's. And the founder is like what calls himself a lapsed anarchist, but like an anarcho-capitalist, which has like cringy, sounds really cringy, but um, he's written a bunch of like uh, books and pamphlets about his business philosophy. And I think they are transitioning into a worker co-op, which makes a lot of sense for the philosophy. But like in, in anarchy, the idea is like affinity groups, people coming together to self-determine and working together towards a goal. So it's autonomous. It's like, it's based on what you want to do with, with other people. And so what we want to do is make a living dancing. And then there's different ways to achieve that. But I think we're thinking along the lines of having committees. We're working with the LA Co-op Lab, who is providing us a lot of resources for establishing, you know, our structure. But yeah, there will be elections for different like managers and things like that. And I think we would prefer for most of our decision-making to be consensus-based. So yeah, so the idea is just to make sure that we are operating according to like democratic principles, that um, marginalized voices are prioritized and listened to. And so that's the inclusive part of what we're trying to do. Because the, the basic idea is that the, given the nature of sex work, because there's so much personal risk involved and the labor is so emotionally, mentally, physically taxing on your body and your mind and spirit, um, <laughs> this is very like hands-on work in a lot of ways, that sex workers should be in control of profits, the uh -huh. profits of their labor. And that's how it should feel working at the co-op is that yeah. you do have a say and Yeah. So I'm curious about now your like personal philosophy about sex work essentially, but you know, and how it fits in with these other structures. I think for a long time, there was like a very negative stereotype in the media and we're kind of like getting past that a little bit. But in my adult life in LA, I've only known the happiest sex workers. <laughs> so I just, I'm curious how you look at the whole thing. Yeah, the stigma is real, but like the strippers who are unhappy, like they're unhappy for the same reasons that anyone else is unhappy in their jobs. Right. But I mean, and I guess it's compounded by the stigma, compounded by the exploitation of our workforce and the, the risks uh, involved in the job. But yeah, I mean, it goes back to sex work as work. These are jobs. And there are like very vulnerable sex workers as well that the community wants to support, like we want to support. And I want to plug Sidewalk Project here. They're an ally of ours. And we've, we do some, I've done some volunteering with them and we've had them at our shows. But, you know, I've, I've talked to them about like uh, one of the, I think founders or lead organizers there has talked about like unionizing, you know, street-based sex workers and trying to to uh, encourage like collectivity on that front as well. So I, I would say that, yeah, it, the this, this, this thing was very disappointing um, and it's frustrating. Do you feel it improving? 
I think it is. Yeah, I think it. I think it definitely is. And I liked what you were talking about with uh, Jane about how it really has moved in the right direction and in like coming out and it's kind of like making progress along the same lines, it seems, as like the gay rights movement as well. So I, I do like to see that progress. There's more work to be, I think it, like, yeah, in, in our kind of like activist stripper bubble, it feels like I don't confront the stigma a lot in my daily life, other than in conversations with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, when we like we get a lot of like hateful comments on our stuff from people, yeah, who are completely removed from all of it. So I'm curious on the empowerment front, though, because like I have never stripped, but I've worked at a strip club I hosted for a while and I have an OnlyFans. (laughs) And I have to say, I just got a huge influx of subscribers and it's one of the most empowering things. I feel like I'm getting paid back for it's hard to articulate. It's like all the being objectified or whatever that wasn't on my own terms. It's like, I'm getting paid back for it now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or like under these circumstances, I know that's kind of an odd way to think about it, but it is a little bit how it feels for me. So I'm curious, are there any of those feelings for you? Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think in the club, I went into it and I initially felt very uh, charged up by that. Um, dynamic of being paid for stuff that you've given away for free before. I think the reality of the power dynamics in the strip club is that sometimes it feels like you have the power and you're the mm-hmm. one controlling what you know in which direction the money is going. But a lot of times it does feel like the customer is in control and mm. you have to go out of your way to please them, appease them to get the tips. And especially when you're working on such under such an exploitative labor model and you're not getting paid for your time, you have to maybe do something you don't, you wouldn't want to do to get the, to, to get the tip, right. you know? And especially like at Star Garden, when they were taking half of her lap dance money and there wasn't a security guard to enforce the boundaries for you, you know, we all ended up doing like allowing things to happen that we wouldn't otherwise, because without the tip, you're making $10 for a song. And that's like way below what any of us would accept. So then you're, you know, relying on the tip money. So yeah, in terms of like the transaction and the money flow, it's very variable. Uh Um, But I think what has been empowering about it is, well, first of all, like learning about gender performance Mm-hmm. And that we are, none of us are defined by, by our sex at birth. And, you know, being a stripper for me, usually I'm gender fluid in my normal life. Um, putting on this costume and this persona has allowed me to, to separate myself from like the expectations of, of women um, and shown me that those expectations, you know, that we should be compensated for putting in all that like, um, yeah. labor into being a woman <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, for one thing beyond that it's been empowering also to be kind of like to feel like you're on the front lines of being on the front lines of misogyny but like shoulder to shoulder with like your mm-hmm. other femme workers and to be supporting each other and I said in like a speech I gave at the rally at Actors Equity that the empowering part of it at the end of the day, I think, is having to find your power every time you come up against that hate in the club, like from men, and then like finding the power and the strength and the community to keep going. I love that. 
that seems like the perfect place to end. Is there anything else you wanted to say? You know, just to please, you know, support our fundraiser to buy the club. Our shows have shown like how creative and unfettered and the energy is just incredible. So in terms of like the co-op and um, realizing the co-op strip club, I think we have a hard time imagining how amazing it could be. It hasn't existed, you know, for over a decade or actually a decade, but this is something that I think we all need to have as like this beacon of the possible future. Like when we transform the industry in LA and beyond to have these incredible like sex positive um, spaces with incredible performers and empowerment, like real empowerment in so many different ways, worker power, power in femme presentation and performance, um, femme sexuality. And we also want to have male strippers as well. So exploring that, um, the freedom involved in that, uh, a place to go where you can feel like you're supporting because like bachelorette parties, bachelor parties, we want to go party in a place where everyone can feel good about it. Yeah. So I think this, like really, we're going to just blow the roof off of it in the industry. And yeah, I, I really hope that your listeners will want to buy into that vision. Yes. Awesome. Marching orders, privates, support the cause. <laughs> <laughs> Strippers united will never be divided. Strippers united will never be divided. Strippers united will never be divided. Yes, that's right. You've got your marching orders, privates. I am putting links in the episode description with more on how you can support the cause. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Private Parts Unknown. And thanks to Velveeta. And big congratulations to all of the Stargarden dancers on this historic milestone, which is hopefully just the beginning of their journey together. They are carrying the torch of the lusty lady and... It's pretty incredible. I'm going to read some excerpts from the press release just so you can hear all the facts verbatim. The spark that ignited the unionization campaign was lit in March of 2022, when the club's security guards repeatedly failed to protect dancers from threatening and abusive behavior from patrons. Dancers were illegally fired for bringing concerns about safety and security to management. With the assistance of Strippers United, a 501c3 organization led by strippers that advocates for strippers' rights, Star Garden strippers began picketing outside the strip club to protest unsafe working conditions. Picketing continued every week through November outside the club's location on Lancashire Boulevard in North Hollywood. Last August, the dancers announced that they had affiliated with Equity. Shortly afterward, the National Union filed for an election with the NLRB on behalf of the dancers. In the fall, the Labor Board conducted an election by mail. A vote count was scheduled for November, but the results were put on hold by the NLRB due to employer objections and legal filings. The NLRB was scheduled to hold a hearing this week over employer objections. That hearing is now unnecessary and has been canceled. Stargarden's owners also had tried to use the bankruptcy courts as a means of circumventing the union election. As part of its settlement with the union, the employer will work through the legal system to dismiss the bankruptcy, and the club will reopen within 30 to 60 days of the bankruptcy dismissal. 
As part of the settlement, both sides agreed that when the club reopens, the club's security firm doesn't have to be dismissed. At the same time, the agreement stipulates that no security guards who worked at Stargarden in the past can be assigned to Stargarden going forward. Stargarden's dancers are not the first strippers to seek union recognition. Strippers at San Francisco's Lusty Lady organized the Exotic Dancers Union in 1997. They were affiliated with the Service Employees International Union. The Lusty Lady closed in 2013. So that is that. That is how the Stargarden Dancers became America's only unionized strippers at the moment. And who knows? Perhaps they will inspire others just like they were inspired by the Lusties. Stay tuned to Private Parts Unknown. I have got lots more sexy episodes coming up for you soon, including maybe a girl who is a drag queen turned elected official. You are going to love her. Plus, I'm taking you inside some Midwestern sex clubs. Don't say Wisconsin's not horny, okay? Wisconsin is incredibly horny. <laughs> so to get notified of the latest episodes, look down and make sure you are following the show on your favorite podcast player now. And to stay in touch between episodes, you can follow me at Courtney Kosak, that is K-O-C-A-K on Instagram and Twitter, and follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. And hey, baby, I am shamelessly trying to hit the top one. 1% on OnlyFans before I retire. I'm currently in the top 5%, so I need your help. So if you are interested in a Playboy-style peek behind the podcast, you can subscribe to my OnlyFans account. It is OnlyFans.com slash Coco Peep Show. Again, OnlyFans.com slash Coco Peep Show. It is actually a great way for you to support the show if you are horny like that. So, and for more exclusive content and updates, subscribe to our newsletter. That is at privatepartsunknown.substack.com. There is a link for that in the episode description. Shout out to Amy Rausch for the bomb-ass theme music. For more info about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H dot com. This episode was mixed by my ride-or-die audio guy, Michael Castaneda of Plastic Audio. And after enjoying this content, could we ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. You guys have been friggin' awesome about helping us hit our rating rating and review goals over the last couple months. And it has been so fun and it's awesome to get to interact with you in this way. So we are currently trying to get to a hundred on Spotify and we are up to 81, which is great. We had uh, several since the last episode. So we are now at 81, trying to get to 100. So if you are listening on Spotify, you can help us get those last 19 ratings we need to hit our goal. You just go to the upper left-hand corner of our page, you click the star button, and then you click all five stars. Easy peasy, right? And on Apple Podcasts, we have a goal to get to 275 ratings, and we are currently at 264. So, oh my gosh, we are getting closer. We are just 11 away. 
And we actually got a new review that I am very stoked on. So let me read it to you. So five stars from Lost Again. Effortlessly captivating. I was introduced to this podcast from the Jasmine Jafar episode. I enjoyed the interview style Courtney used during this episode. She presented a casual but engaged conversation, delving into her guest's history, takes on the industry, and advice for creators. Definitely began to follow this podcast afterwards and look forward to future episodes. Oh, thank you, Lost Again. You don't sound very lost to me. You sound very found, and I'm so glad you found this podcast. So I would love to hear from you, potential reviewer. If you are interested in leaving a five-star rating and review, you can do that directly on Apple Podcasts, or you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash private, and you have the ability to rate and review us on a few different platforms. So thank you so much. We so appreciate that. And guess what? There's a new way you can support the show. So we are now on the Fountain app. So if you are listening on Fountain or another V4V platform and you get value from this show, you can support us by sending a boostagram or sending us sats for streaming the show. And actually some people have been interacting with us over on Fountain. So a user made a clip about the Why Women Cheat episode. A user created a clip and said, Jasmine Jafar got it poppin'. Defunct mode boosted 100 sats and said, interesting podcast about the Jasmine Jafar episode. That was a good episode. And Walter W. also created a clip. So thank you, everyone who has been sending us sats over on Fountain. And thank you so much for listening, Privates. Until next time, stay curious and keep exploring. Love you, Privates. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.